0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at Bethelcov.org. Thanks for listening. So Aaron and I had been married about seven years uh, before we had uh, foster, our first kid. And I remember... Um, <clears throat> about maybe two or three months into that uh, whole experience, um, asking Erin when things were going to get back to normal. (laughs) That was her response. (laughs) Because when, you know, we had gotten used to being married. We'd been married seven years before we had foster. And uh, that meant we had an awful lot of time to do uh, whatever either of us felt like doing. And And I remember after we had foster, I was fighting to keep doing some of the things that I like to do. You know, having time to just kind of sit and relax or keep up on all the shows that I like to watch or, or, you know, play all the Xbox I wanted to play. And, and all of a sudden, I couldn't do those things anymore. She's shaking her head at me down there on thin ice. Um, and so I asked that. I said, you know, if, you know when is it going to get back? to normal. When is all this craziness going to be done and we can start having our regular life again? And and of course, you know, she was right. Um, There's no getting back to normal after something like that happens. Um, And the longer you spend wishing for that thing to come back or the longer I spent saying, okay, when can I finally get back to normal, the more um, important stuff I was missing. and the less helpful I was as, as a husband, too. <laughs> uh, because the truth is that there are a lot of things that happen in our lives that there's just no going back from. There's no back to normal. And even someday uh, when, when our kids are graduated from college and moved on to the next thing, uh, that's going to be a whole different world uh, than the world that we left when we had him. Uh, because even the, the, the best and most positive changes in our lives are, are inherently disruptive. Adopting, right? Even the most important things, and there's always a part of us, I think, that want that to wanna go back to normal. You know, when, when you graduate from high school, it's this awesome achievement, uh, and there's always moments that you say, man, I kind of miss being in high school. When can I go back to that normal? If your kids graduate from high school, I hear there's lots of good stuff about that, but there's a lot of heartache about that too, when you get married, there are times that you uh, look back and say, "Man, I kind of miss when it was just me I had to worry about." Uh, I talk to retired people all the time, and and they miss working <laughs> way more than I thought anybody could. <laughs> you know, and, and it happens with the bad stuff too. You know, it's even harder when bad stuff happens. Uh, you know, you get hurt or sick, and, and all you really want is to just fast forward through the healing and just be better, to just right, do back. To normal. Uh, your kids are going through something hard and you wish you could just go back to normal. Well, our, our scripture today, the passage that we're reading out of Matthew, is about a, a just absolutely massive disruption uh, and how this um, piece of news, this piece of information comes in and just it, it kind of messes everybody's day up. Uh, and not in a bad way, it's, it's good news, but not everybody sees it that way. Um, our scripture, it's just about this massive disruption. And this disruption, it causes a, a huge journey of people. Uh, it takes a city and just upsets everybody, in it turns the whole city over. Uh, it leads to uh, palace intrigue, and it even leads to murder. And so we're going to start uh, just by reading this passage together. It's, uh chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, and I'll have it up on the screen, uh, but it's also in your Bible, and I encourage you to have it in your Bible, have it open, because we're going to jump around after we read it. Uh, so this story takes place after uh, the manger scene story. Uh, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Well, when, Herod, uh, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, uh, Go carefully, uh, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, uh, report to me so I too may go and worship him. Well, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." Uh, so you've heard this story, uh, maybe you're like my family growing up, you know, you read this part of the story every single year, and you think about, you know, the, like the three wise men, the three uh, kings maybe, um, and so we're just gonna, we're gonna try and look a little bit deeper, and some things that maybe, that I had certainly never thought about, um, but to start, I just want to ask you, so this is the news, this is the disruption that comes in, uh, we're gonna take a look at each of these characters, right, there's kind of three uh, Characters: Three, uh, one's a group of people, and two are other people that are impacted by uh, this crazy news. So who's the, who's the first group that's impacted, that's disrupted in this story? We're going to go confirmation style. The Magi, right? Um, so if you don't know much about Magi, um, we call them kings sometimes, but most likely uh, these were astrologers. Um, they spent their time not looking through telescopes, because they didn't have telescopes back then, but they spent their time looking at the stars to predict the future.? Okay? These are not uh, good followers of Yahweh. These are, um, these are outsiders, and people that Jewish people growing up reading this story, hearing the story would not think of as, as the good guys. But so you've got these outsiders that aren't necessarily the good guys. They begin the story, and their world is disrupted. When they see a star, and there's actually all kinds of interesting ideas people have about what they saw. Uh, some people think maybe it was Halley's Comet, but that doesn't quite line up perfectly. Um, some people think it was uh, an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, uh, because uh, in ancient times, I thought this was really interesting, uh, Jupiter was thought to represent uh, Jewish people. Uh, it was, some people saw that, and then Saturn was the king planet, and so when they aligned, king plus the Jews, right? So they came looking for this king, but it doesn't really matter. They saw this star and they were so convinced that this predicted the birth of a king out of the Jewish people that they uh, got together and made a very long journey. Uh, We don't know exactly how far, but it was probably around 400 miles. And that doesn't seem like a big deal now, but when you're traveling on foot and with camels, it means they probably put together this Huge procession. You know, we think of like three wise men kind of trudging through the desert by themselves, but it was probably like a big caravan of people uh, who walked into Jerusalem. And, and when they walked into Jerusalem, uh, what happens, right? They talk to Herod, and what happens to the people of Jerusalem? It says they get disturbed. They're upset. And Herod gets disturbed and upset too. And so just, you know, we're just going to retell the story. So here's our, here's our wise men, the next people that they meet. Uh, next person is the king, King Herod, and he hears uh, this message. Who is the one to be born king of the Jews? And, and we hear this story every year, so it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but this is, a, this is what they're doing here, is like if you walked up uh, to the president, you know, he said, hi, Mr. Trump, uh, can you show me where the real president is? <laughs> like, th- that's, that's what they're saying uh, to the king. They're saying, Oh, hi, uh, King Herod. Where's the, where's the true king? And so Herod's, Herod's understandably upset. And he looks for more information. Herod's a smart guy. So he calls his religious leaders and he says, Do you have any idea what these guys are talking about? And they have this prophecy. And so Herod takes that information. And we're going to see what he does with it a little bit next week. But what he winds up doing is killing every child under the age of two in Bethlehem. Uh, Why do you think Herod would do something like that? Any ideas? He doesn't want his authority challenged? Jealousy? Jealousy Because guess what? If you're a king and somebody else starts calling themselves king, what's going to happen? I mean, eventually you're going to come into conflict. And so Herod, he's a smart leader. He doesn't want any chance of anybody ever challenging his authority, which was already a little suspect. And so he, he takes action to try and stop it. He says, if there's a king born, I'm going to take care of this king right now. Uh, and Herod, you know, he was appointed by the Roman government. Herod did all kinds of good stuff. He helped build the temple. He built these beautiful buildings. Uh, but this little baby is, is threatening to him. And so the last group, right, we've got these guys represent the people of Jerusalem, they're disturbed and upset. And the reason uh, this news might upset you if you lived in Jerusalem is when kings change over, <laughs> when kings have conflict with other kings, it's almost always bad for regular people in, in the moment, right? Uh, when kings fight, it leads to violence and pain and things get all messed up. So, so we've got regular people just like you and I. Who knows what's going to happen? They're scared. They're disturbed. They don't know what to think. So, so if we have this news, we've got one piece of news. Um, there's a king being born to the Jews. How do, the, how do our magi, our astrologers, our foreigners from another place, how do they react to this news? They were looking interested. Yeah, they're excited. They take a trip. They're, they're happy. How does uh, King Herod respond to this news? Not happy at all. Happy at all. It's a threat. He's got to do something about it. And the people, right, they're kind of in between. They're scared, they're uncertain, they're they're disturbed. And so Matthew captures this for us. And just like we talked about two weeks ago, Matthew doesn't include anything in this uh, story about Jesus without doing it on purpose, right? It's there for a reason. He's trying to make a claim. Um, And so we have these three people, and all three of them uh, react to this news. And What's interesting about this story is the, the foreigners, the astrologers, the not-so-good people, they believe the news, right? right? They believe that there's a king. Otherwise, they wouldn't travel from far away with these gifts. Um, Herod, what does he believe? Does he believe this news? Yeah, right? If he didn't, he certainly wouldn't waste his time uh, harming people and worrying about it. Do the, do the people of Jerusalem believe that there's a king? They might not understand what it means, but do they believe there's a king? Yeah, right? They do. Um, so, you know, and it doesn't seem to matter, right? Some, they might oppose the king. They might plot this new king's death. They might be afraid of him. Uh, they might worship him. But Matthew's making a point here. And the point that he's trying to make, he wants us to notice this, that, that everyone reacts to this claim of a king uh, as if it's true. Everyone reacts to this claim. There was a king born. They may not all respond in the same way, but they all believe and they all wrestle with this idea that there's a king, a new king to be born. Uh, Whether you're a foreigner or the current king or the regular people, they all see it and respond. Some resist, some celebrate, but they all respond. And what Matthew is trying to do for us uh, is invite us to do the exact same thing. The reason he includes this uh, true story about what happened to, to Jesus is he wants to show us how people might respond to the kind of claim that Jesus is making. The kind of thing that Matthew wants us to notice about who Jesus is. And the thing that Matthew wants us to notice is that Jesus is king. And the question that he invites all of us as readers to answer is, how are we going to react to that statement? Uh, and this is this is really important, and we have a hard time with this because we don't live under a king today, and it's hard for us to understand exactly what that's like. But Matthew wants his readers and us included to notice that that Jesus isn't coming as a as a distant, uh, you know, like theophany of God. That like God showed up for a few minutes, and now you can continue living your normal life. Like no, Jesus comes. Uh, To be an actual real king that impacts the daily lives of people. The kind of king that you might try to take care of if you're already the king. The kind of king that you might want to bring uh, gifts of tribute to if you come from a faraway land. And the kind of king that might make you nervous if he's showing up in your community. Right? And some accept, some resist, some wrestle in between. Um, And the whole gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll notice this. He'll make these these claims about who Jesus is based on what he's doing. And as you read the book, you'll find uh, Matthew's constantly trying to tell you Jesus really is claiming to be king. He really is claiming to be king. And he, wants, uh, he doesn't want anybody to be able to read through Matthew without wrestling with that, that claim. He wants us to not be able to ignore that disruptive news because he knows that uh, there's a part of us that maybe wants to. Uh, Matthew, who wrote the gospel, God, who inspired it, right? Uh, they can't control how we respond to that news, but he's going to do everything he can to make sure that we've thought about that claim. Is Jesus king or not? And I think this is incredibly uh, important for us to hear because I think a lot of times we don't totally understand what that claim means. And even if we do, we, we kind of avoid it in our lives, um, uh, it's it's the you know Matthew's kind of telling a funny joke you know he's saying when Jesus showed up the the foreigners understood who he was when Jesus showed up the evil king who murders children understood who he was when Jesus showed up all the people in town understood who he was they wrestled with this claim and he wants us to do the same and I, and I'm not sure we do uh, I think I know for me sometimes I'm much happier thinking about Jesus as as God than king. Uh, and here's what I mean by this. I think we're very happy with the idea of Jesus and this kind of benevolent, loving God that, that cares about us um, from afar <laughs> Then we are uh, excited about having a king that has any real claim of ownership over our lives or our world. I think sometimes even really faithful people and myself included, um, when we believe, we say this to God. We say, God, be my helper, God, be my helper. Um, When I was a kid, it was all about Jesus is your friend. Jesus, be my friend. Um, God, come into my life. Let me make room for you in my life. Smooth my path. When trouble comes, Lord, save the day. Um, And we're comfortable praying those prayers, right? Or we're comfortable praying, like, Lord Jesus, take care of me after I die, right? Hold on to me when I die, but (laughs) don't disrupt things too much in my life, Lord. Maybe I can live my normal life. I can pursue my own dreams, my own desires, my own ideas. And and Lord, would you just bless my plans? I've prayed that prayer before. I don't know about you. Lord, bless my plans today. Bless my day. I think we want to sit on the throne of our own lives. And we hope that Jesus will stand right here beside us. Right, We get to sit, and, and he'll even maybe lean forward and say, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Maybe you should apologize. He'll whisper in our ear. Maybe he'll encourage us to, to be better. We'll try and, and do nice things most of the time. But, but at the end of the day, I want to sit on my own throne. I want to work hard. You know, We work hard to do the right thing, to avoid doing the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, it's, it's me on the chair, Lord. And, and if you'd help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. If you'd step in when I make a mistake and forgive me, I'd appreciate it. If you'd help me out when something comes into my life and and messes uh, things up, I'd appreciate it. And I find in my life that when I live like that, when I live like I'm sitting on the throne and and Jesus is right here to offer helpful advice, um, I find that I, I don't know about you, but I really do, I think most people work really hard to be kind of decent people, to do the right thing. To achieve um, the things that matter to us, and the things that matter to us aren't wrong; they're not bad, um, you know. And, and we work hard for that. You know, I work really hard to be the best like pastor I can be and the best father I can be, and I and I hope that my work uh, turns into having good kids or, or having uh, good things happen at church. But the reality is that I don't know if you've ever found this, but sometimes when I've worked really, 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 really hard for something, uh, the outcome turned out to be totally out of my control, right? You worked really, really, really hard to make sure your kids turned out great and they turned out differently than you hoped they would. It's out of your control. And in the middle of that, in the middle of my working really, really hard to to do that, I found that I missed stuff that mattered uh, when I was working on what I thought was important. And so often, Uh, If you sit on that throne, if you've ever been there, you know that when the things don't turn out how you hope they'll turn out, it leads to anger when things don't go right and sorrow, right? You eat really healthy every day of your life, but you still get sick. It's not fair, and you get mad. It leads to depression sometimes when you can't see a way out of the trouble that you're in and you're sitting on that throne and you're just like, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this situation, how I'm going to solve this problem, this person's hurting and I don't know how to help them and it makes you sad. Or sometimes um, when you get lucky and you work really, really hard and you get that outcome that you're searching for, you get that thing, you make it, um, two things happen. One, sometimes you, you feel pride for like, ah, I did this. Or on the other side, you find that once you got that, it wasn't really that important. You still feel just as, as empty as before. And, you're, and you're, ask, left, uh, you're left asking when you sit on that throne, Lord, where were you in that? Why did that, that happen to me? Lord, why didn't you step in and help? And I think the problem is that we want to do our own thing and we want God to, to bless it. And it leads us to pain over and over again all the time because uh, Jesus does not make a very good sidekick. He makes a terrible sidekick. And that's because he's supposed to be king. Uh, And this is what Matthew is trying to communicate to us. This is what Matthew wants to hold so firmly in front of our faces that we can't possibly uh, believe in Jesus without believing in this claim. He holds it right in front of our eyes so that we're forced to wrestle with it. And as we continue through Matthew this year, you're gonna find him, him holding this image up in front of your eyes over and over again. Jesus is king. Wrestle with it, deny it, whatever, but, but this is what I want you to think about. And I think the question becomes for us, if, if we believe this, if we really believe he's king, and if we want to uh, live our lives in a world that he's king of... In a world that he sets the rules of, that he controls, um, we're, we're invited to let him be a king in our own lives too. Uh, he wants us to think like Jesus is maybe more than a healer or a teacher or a helper. He's a king, not just of heaven, but, but of, of earth. And so the question is, what does it look like to live that out? And and there's no possible way that I can answer this in any amount of time up here. It's something that we have to wrestle with over the course of our whole lives. What does it look like for Jesus to be king? But there's a few things that we can try doing. We can try uh, letting go of our our outcomes. Or at least holding our dreams, our goals, our hopes, the people that we want to control. Holding those things incredibly loosely. It looks like uh, discerning God's voice and looking for opportunities where he's at work. Because sometimes the things that we're holding in our hands, the outcomes that we're pursuing, uh, they're actually not what God cares about. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they line up perfectly. But a lot of times they don't. So we've got to hold those things loosely and spend time listening to God's voice. And and this is going to sound, this is like cheesy pastor 101 stuff. It it means taking quiet time to listen to God. It means reading scripture. Um, One other thing that is really important, it means talking to other Christians about what is going on in your life. Because maybe you guys are better than me, but I don't know about you, but I am really, really good at deceiving myself. Is anybody else here good at lying to themselves? Man, I'm very proud of you guys. Nobody who's There we go. That's another gold star for you, Landon. Um, yeah, we're really good at lying to ourselves, so we need other people to read the word with. We need other people to say, hey, um, that thing that you're pursuing with everything you got, I'm not sure it's the most important thing in the world. And that, that takes time, and it's really hard. Uh, another, and, and the third thing it looks like is, is pursuing God's call. That means taking the things that you have and using them to bless the people that God puts in your path. It, it means living differently because you believe that Jesus is king and nobody else. And it means that if we believe that, if we uh, follow him, he'll hold on to us through this life and into the resurrection, that death is not the end. Um, last night, I had a, had a moment where I didn't live like Jesus is king that I want to share with you. Um, Aaron knows this. It was about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and our little boy, Foster, came into the room and woke me up to go to the bathroom. He does that every time he goes to the bathroom. That's fine. It's, there's no breaking him of it. It's good. Uh, and then he came back an hour later and he tapped me on my mouth to wake me up uh, to tell me something. He, he, there were graham cracker crumbs in his bed because he was eating graham crackers in his bed. And I'm laying here in bed thinking, Foster, I, you're like, I have to work tomorrow. I got to preach today. I got to preach today. I don't want to be exhausted. I'm never going to fall back asleep. And I was so angry at him because my plan For getting a decent night of sleep and waking up in the morning and doing all this stuff that I thought was really important, this important pastor stuff, was being thwarted by this little boy. That his plans came in and disrupted mine, and I was so angry, I said, Foster, you shouldn't eat graham crackers at night, go to your room and go to bed. And I hear him crying in his room, and I ignore him, and he comes back in the room, which was a mistake. And he says, Dad, you hurt my feelings. (laughs) And I still was so hard-hearted. I was just like, well, you hurt my feelings when you woke me up. (laughs) And it wasn't until this morning when I woke up that I realized I was going to stand in front of you and tell you about God being king in your life. And sometimes there are disruptions that mess you up. (laughs) And the things that you think matter the most maybe don't matter the most, and I had just yelled at that little boy. That's what it looks like when something else is king. If I had believed that Jesus was king in those moments, I would have known that maybe something was going on there bigger than me losing a couple hours of sleep. And I feel bad about it. And I, and I apologize to Foster this morning. So that's, that's just one example of thinking uh, this way. And one good example of doing it wrong. So, so don't be like me. <laughs> My friends, the, the Bible has um, Matthew. He's laid a claim before us. He's held that card up, that big word king, in front of our eyes. And we're invited by, by Matthew, by Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit who inspired these words. We're invited to decide whether we believe that to be true or not. You can deny him, you can resist him, you can believe him, or you can accept him, but don't uh, refuse to wrestle with this claim today and this week. Maybe you've believed in God for a really long time, and he's been a really great, helpful person to call on when things aren't going well, but you've never really stepped off that chair. Maybe you're like me and you find yourself at 4 o'clock in the morning and sometimes even when you've had plenty of good sleep forgetting who the true king is. Perhaps you've never acknowledged or wrestled with this claim at all. So if you've been up to this point living in any of these ways, if you've been serving what feels good or pursuing your own outcomes, what seems right in the moment, or serving some other person who will tell you what to do, I want to invite you as we approach the table to respond to Jesus today. Whoever you are, I invite you to accept the disruptive good news that we are not king of our own destinies. That we are not kings of our world. That the people in our worlds that call themselves king aren't really the true king either. Uh, one way that I like to talk about this, we talk about three parts. Uh, being able to admit that we have need of God, that we can't figure it out on our own, that we're not very good kings. Saying, I believe that Jesus really is that king. And finally, uh, saying, I turn. Jesus, turn me into the person that you want me to be. And so as we finish our our service uh, after communion today, I invite you to pray with our prayer person or talk to me if you want to um, wrestle with that question with somebody else. So as we approach uh, the bread and the cup today, as we sing our final hymn after, I encourage you to spend some time talking to God about the ways that maybe you've tried to make Jesus a good sidekick and not such a good king. And I encourage you to invite him back to that throne. Would you pray with me? Lord God you sent your son to be king of this world and king of our lives he lived among us he ate and drank and taught experienced life he was opposed and ignored and harmed and he was enthroned Lord on the cross in a way that none of us would have expected and nobody could have imagined But in that, Lord, in his death and resurrection, he died for our sins that separate us from you. And he reminded us, he claimed his throne as the one true king of the world. Help us to step off of our thrones, put our faith in him, and trust that maybe he has a better idea of how our lives should play out than even we do. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And we thank you that we can come to your table and participate in his death and resurrection. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at bethelcov.org.